Welcome to Permaculture Freedom Podcast. My name is Cody and I'm your host. This is a show about cultivating freedom in our lives so we can be our best self. Freedom to live a beautiful, regenerative lifestyle that inspires our families, our friends, and our community. To transform our lives and reconnect to nature within. It's a revival of our roots. Roots that run deep into the earth. We were born for this time. We were born for this time. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful journey. Thanks for showing up. Christine Hoffman runs Foxglove Market, the Twin Cities' first exclusively local and chemical-free florist. Foxglove is more than just a flower studio. Christine is a slow flowers advocate striving to form a strong community of sustainable flower farmers, small business owners, and folks who care about supporting these mindful endeavors. By providing a local sustainable option to traditional flowers, putting a premium on collaboration and reaching out to the community, she hopes to foster change through this work. Her design world does not necessarily differentiate between flower, flora, weed, herb, or edible. Rather, these elements all merge at a lovely and intriguing intersection of flowers, food, and found objects. Everything interacts and is connected, just like the natural world. Her work is about creating an environment invoking feelings and finding beauty in the unexpected. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Cody. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. I'd love to just get started and have you tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of work that you're doing. Okay, sure, sure. Um, I have, so I came out of a background in retail merchandising and interior design, which maybe doesn't seem to lead itself uh, naturally to this, but um, through that work, I felt, felt like I was always creating really comforting and beautiful spaces for people to be in. And certainly when I opened Fox Glove, that was, uh, I opened Fox Glove originally as a brick and mortar shop. And that was at the top of my list to create that kind of space for people to come into. Um, I really wanted it to reflect my values and aesthetic. So that is sort of my, recent career in a nutshell, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you love most about this, this work and the market that you opened? Oh gosh, what do I love most about it? Um, so uh, the brick and mortar store is no longer, uh, I closed that after I realized there was this growing interest in the work I was doing with uh, the local flowers and the local farmers I was working with. When I opened the shop, um, part of my offerings, I wanted to have fresh flowers in the store for people to pick up um, and a little flower studio in the back. But having worked with so many flowers uh, in my previous career with events and interior design, I, I really wasn't happy or felt connected to the flowers I was buying and what was available out there. Mm -hmm. And I thought there must be something better out there. Right. Um, I was a gardener and, you know, like to use what was in my garden and thought there must be people growing flowers. Um, Some people listening may be aware that there's this huge flower farming movement now, but at the time this was only 2013. So it wasn't that long ago, Mm -hmm. but, there wasn't that movement wasn't happening yet. So I found a couple of flower farmers in the area and started working with them. And um, that's what I really loved about it, that um, having the shop and the space was great, but um, working with these farmers and then um, learning more about the floral industry as I did more research mm-hmm. um, and passing that information along to my customers um, in the form of just chatting in the shop or having workshops. Um, that's what really 
um, hooked me. And when I saw the reaction from my customers, um, that was just incredibly rewarding. And yeah, so that's what I, that's what I really loved about, uh, you know, came out of the retail shop and I took forward, um, into the flower studio and then into the work that I'm doing now. How, how did you first connect with those farmers and what did that initial collaboration and, and relationship look like? <clears throat> yeah, it, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of uh, just, you know, asking people mm-hmm. um, that I knew in the industry and doing some, a lot of Google searching and I uh, found Shining Hills Farm in Wisconsin and um, Prairie Garden Farm in Starbuck, Minnesota. And it was great because at the time they were very, um, Prairie Farm was doing a lot of uh, annuals, um, you know, kind of, I called them all the pretty flowers. (laughs) Um, And then Shining Hills Farm was, uh, he was a little more wild and had a lot of amazing perennials, established perennials and did a lot of wild harvesting for me. So I felt like I had the kind of yin and yang of the, of the more, you know, pretty traditional garden flowers and then this wild harvested material and um, just building those relationships um, was lovely. And to see the reaction from them that someone was finally trying to pass this knowledge along and this, um, this option along to consumers and then I started asking more farmers to grow flowers for me and um, produce farmers largely in the urban area here. And uh, all of them said no. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, um, and at the time thought it was kind of a strange thing to ask. Um, but eventually, you know, a few came on board and started growing flowers. And now, of course, we've seen this explosion in flower farmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's interesting. I mean, with that relationship that you're building, you're kind of this bridge between the farmer and consumer. And we we talk a lot about this in our work with obviously with produce, with food, mm-hmm. uh, herbal medicine too. Uh, what what how you know like how has that changed and evolved over time? You know, from that start and your role as, as this bridge between those two things, you know, and, and what, what have, what's been successful for you in, in that role? Yeah. Um, I think, well, the big, the big one is I started a wholesale market. So I, I own Fox Club, but I also started um, the Twin Cities Flower Exchange, mm-hmm. which is a wholesale market um, for all local all organic um, cut flowers. Mm-hmm. And that came out of this time of working with these farmers and educating consumers and seeing the demand grow, but not seeing the demand grow enough. Mm-hmm. And having new farmers come on board all the time and getting contacted by farms saying they wanted to start growing flowers and could I buy them? And as one person, I could only buy so many flowers, mm-hmm. but I knew there were other people out there who would want this, other designers, um, other shops, and um, that seemed the best way to start connecting farmers with broader markets. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as Foxglove, I mean, I'm traditionally, I guess, categorized as a florist. Um, and I do floral, but I feel like, um, in a broader sense, I am again, creating space for people to discover these alternatives, work with these materials. And then also as a bigger kind of local flowers advocate, just broadening that market in any way I can, whether it's education or the wholesale market. Um, yeah, just looking at, like you said, ways to get from the farmer to consumer and uh, all those kind of chains of change of commerce, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What with, you know, with that education piece, I feel like that's mm-hmm. so crucial. What, what does that look like for you? You know, how, how have you, you know, 
helped provide that for, for people to, you know, I, I guess the bigger question might be is like, are the people that are, you know, that you're interacting with, are they already to a point of being educated about the importance of these things? Or is there still some, some sort of education that's happening in, in whatever form to help people more aware of, of, you know, these, these sustainable practices and local practices? Right. I feel like people are getting a little bit wiser, but boy, when I started, it was really eye-opening for most of the people I talked to. I mean, I think with food and produce and, you know, that's been happening a little bit longer. People are, you know, buying local and that was a, you know, more of a catchphrase for food, but for flowers, they're a luxury product really, right? So people didn't think a lot about where they were coming from where they were grown, what impact they had on the environment, what the industry was like as a whole. It's a huge industry. Um, so just giving them a few facts, like we, like the fact that over 80% of the cut flowers we buy in the U.S. are grown overseas, people really couldn't believe that. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, you go to, whatever a grocery store and you see that bouquet and it, I mean, I think people just think, well, they're flowers, aren't they? They're just natural. Of course mm -hmm. they grow here. Um, but you know, we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. So just those few simple pieces of information really started, you know, every customer I talked to about it, I saw come back and then change their habits, slowly change their habits and think about what they were buying. And that's just so rewarding um and lovely to see people respond in that way yeah i think when you just give them a little bit of information um just the idea i mean one of the driving ideas behind how i approach things was this i i kept thinking what is this desire what drives us to desire these things that are exotic or out of season right a tomato and January or a tulip in January, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels really like it was idea born in another era when, you know, such things were a display of wealth, right? Yeah. So, and I just really strongly believe that um, we as a planet cannot afford those luxuries anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just creating this unnatural sense of abundance and really no consideration for resources. And once you bring those things to people's attention, I really do feel like they start to pause and think about it before they, they consume. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the earth provides, I mean, it really just provides the right thing right now, right here. Right. Whatever yeah. it is, whether it's produce or flowers. So, Yeah. Well, I love that you made that point. I mean, as a, you know, this, these different things that are a display of wealth, it's so true. I mean, if you look at something as ubiquitous as the grass lawn, that's another example mm -hmm. that has those roots. And, you know, in the U.S., it's like something like 40 million acres is grass lawn across the country. Yeah. And it's the biggest user of pesticides and herbicides mm -hmm. more than, it's our biggest agricultural crop and it's mm -hmm. grass lawn, right? So, you know, it's such a good example to point to, yeah, at some point in time, these things were a novelty and this display that, you know, in the long term, certainly not sustainable and right. regenerative by any stretch. So, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I think well, your original point was education. And just, yeah. <laughs> and just to get back to that. Yeah. Um, it really is. I tell people all the time, I tell my farmers, I tell my consumers, you know, I, it's the single most important thing I can do. Um, so whether I'm a florist or a wholesaler, you know, whatever you may call me, education is absolutely the most important thing I can do. And it's the best way to just kind of gently and constantly remind people to make better choices and that there are better choices out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, do you have any other sort of, you know, I mean, you mentioned the statistic about the 80% of flowers mm -hmm. being imported, any sort of other things like that, that, 
you know, you've, you kind of keep in your back pocket, if you will, to, to help people understand? Um, the average grocery store bouquet travels around 2000 miles and encounters about 127 different chemicals before it reaches mm. the grocery store. <laughs> wow. That's a pretty big one. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, um, nothing says love on Valentine's Day like 127 <laughs> chemicals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, I mean, yeah, I could go, <laughs> there's a lot of statistics I'm I could sure. go into and yeah. the number of chemicals used and the fact that chemicals that are banned in the U.S. are still used mm-hmm. in floral culture. Um, and it's not regulated because, you know, technically we don't eat these flowers, right? Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of things. Um, so well, yeah. I had a, I had a question about that. So yeah, glad you mentioned that. So the, the whole point about maybe you know misconceptions about your approach and the people you work with to mm-hmm. you know organic flower um, farming and those practices, you know, the misconceptions that you might get from public are yeah. I mean, you're not eating this. Why does it matter as much? You know what 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 is your response to that and how have you kind of helped educate really people around the importance of this beyond just, you know, things that we're consuming as like food essentially. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing when we're looking at food, even though we're not necessarily consuming that end product. If you look at the chain of events that happens to get that product to you, we're looking at those chemicals affecting the farm workers. We're looking at those chemicals affecting the soil and the water. Um, we're looking at the carbon footprint of producing those. Um, and we're looking at the fact that those chemicals reach the florists that work with them daily. It affects their health yeah. um, and their well-being. Um, and they do, you know, eventually reach your house if you put them on your table. So um just that that long chain um and most importantly that all of those chemicals go back into the soil and the water um and the you know the hands and bodies of anyone that handles them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i think that touches on too the the economic reasons behind it as well i mean you know, what you're describing is essentially like an economics and externality, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think people are making that argument or, you know, have that understanding because it's externalized, you know, mostly throughout that process from the, their, you know, end consumption or, you know, Mm -hmm. phrase it, Um, you know, and then economically speaking, you know, there's, the different components that go into all the links in that chain to, you know, get those flowers to wherever they need to go to market and your approach and on a much more local basis, obviously is taking so many more links out of that chain. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know for our work in, you know, with farming and food, a huge part of the education and the relationship building has been telling the story of the people that are feeding you, you know, do you feel Mm -hmm. like that's a big part of this as well with, with the flowers and you connecting um, buyers and consumers to, to these farmers? Is that a big part of your approach? And, and if it is, you know, how are you accomplishing that? Yeah. Telling the story of the farmers, I guess it's more about, um, like you said, kind of bridging that gap and shortening that chain for the consumer and realizing, yes, that those flowers they bought in the grocery store came from 2,000 miles away, but the flowers that I'm sourcing or that they're buying from the wholesale market um, came from, you know, sometimes six miles away, um, which is just another education piece in, in getting them to think more about what they're buying and change their habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the farmer relationships are, I mean, if I wouldn't have any of this, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for the farmers doing what mm-hmm. they're doing. So those relationships are just um, so incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What sort of accomplishments 
have you had in this work? I mean, you've started a retail market, you've started a wholesale flower exchange. What sort of, you know, I mean, you're talking about building these relationships with farmers. What sort of accomplishments do you feel most proud of on, on this path? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think it's just really that, that education piece again, that the reward that comes from um, knowing that consumers are responding to that and whether it's, you know, a cons- uh, one of my Foxglove customers buying a bunch of local pussy willows from me or whether it's a wedding designer who has never used local flowers and doesn't even know what grows in what season in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. you know, being open to sourcing locally and looking at doing things a little bit differently in their business so they can support local farmers. Um, That's, I mean, I don't know, like that's, (laughs) I guess, you know, as proud as I can be is just changing, changing those, um, consumer habits one at a time you know yeah totally well and it's it's a point that you make I mean if you're talking about people who are designing and you know making bigger purchases consistently for their livelihood that person is you're making a huge impact on the choices that they're making for the weddings they're working with the events the planning all that and you know, the education of, of those types of people obviously are going to have a huge impact in supporting right. all these farmers and changing these habits. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of our wholesale buyers come to us and, you know, part of it is just having another option for buying some really gorgeous flowers. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Um, but as I say, I like to just gently and constantly remind people of, that bigger picture behind it and why we're doing what we're doing and um, how that can play into, um, you know, making their business better really um, and offering a better choice to their consumers. And again, that education piece comes in um, because as I said, a lot of these, a lot of these buyers have no idea what grows here mm-hmm. or what's in season when. So we create a lot of tools to help, um, you know, seasonal guides and lists of flowers by the week mm-hmm. of what we have um, in any year, just those educational pieces to help them make those decisions. I, I go in and I do um, one-on-one consults with their design team Mm. Um, and look at the kind of work they do and then the kind of product and materials we have that can, that can, um, you know, that fit into their design aesthetic and their work and what they've been using. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that education piece again, there it is. It's just the most important thing I can do. Just, um, offering people those alternatives all the mm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's beautiful work. I mean, you're wearing a lot of hats in in your work that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that feeling very well. <laughs> yeah, any farmer knows that feeling very well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in those in those consults, tell me, you know, you know, we talked about this a little bit with consumers, and you know, maybe this is similar. But what what are yeah. some of those misconceptions or concerns or questions that these designers are having about you know local sustainable flower sourcing? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the number one things is that they're worried it will look, I mean, these are designers, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing these amazing, um, events and a lot of them are worried it will look like a farmer's market bouquet, <laughs> um, which is not a bad thing. Farmer's market bouquets are lovely, but in the design world, um, you know, they want to, they want they all kind of have their signature look and they want it to look very much like that. Um, and I think people have this idea that local flowers are, it's all going to be, you know, zinnias and marigolds, um, which is certainly not true. And we have an incredibly broad range of, of local flowers mm-hmm. being grown by our farmers here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our concern. Um, concern about, I think it's just people you know, people, you have your habits and you, 
get used to ordering a certain product and working with a certain product. Um, and even if, I find that even if buyers want to use local, um, they don't really know what that means or what that's going to entail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just helping them find those substitutes and try out new things that they've never heard of mm-hmm. um, is, you know, a great way to get them um, kind of into using that local product. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just, <clears throat> you know, a few misconceptions um, about what local product is. It doesn't necessarily have to look, you know, wild and organic. Sure, it can look like that, but um, our flowers can look really modern um, and fit a lot of different styles. So mm-hmm. I think that's often the biggest misconception. Um, I don't, you know, I think people too look at Foxglove a lot and they think, I work with all wild harvested materials or, you know, native plants. And while I do use a lot of those, um, part of what I do is to really foster this local flower community, which means flower farming, which is a crop like any other crop. Um, and so, you know, we grow a lot of different types of flowers, hundreds yeah. and hundreds. Yeah, well, that, I think that's what's so beautiful about what you're doing is not only are you providing benefit for those local farmers and local community, but also the wild harvesting does bring in that education piece about these plants that, you know, you know, we talk about when we go on plant walks and teach folks mm-hmm. about different plants and trees, the great wall of green, right? This, yeah. you know, amorphous blob of growing things that <laughs> you don't have a name or a face to, right? And it's, so it's yep. like each one you, you're, you're making a friendship, you're, you're building a relationship with. And exactly, you know, like, I didn't mention this yet, but you did flowers for Megan in my wedding and it was beautiful. And we had such great feedback from people about these arrangements and, you know, they're asking questions and, you know, it's just that curiosity piece, I think is just so crucial, you know, in Mm -hmm. that relationship building. Mm -hmm. I just distinctly remember talking about like the berries and, you know, thinking about like edible arrangements and there was aronia and, you know, different things like that. And I just, yeah, I just think there's just so much potential there when you just pique curiosity a little bit. And then people, you know, especially you're talking about designers, you know, I come from a design background too. And I know that feeling of approaching things in this kind of pattern form, Mm -hmm. you know, like these, these tall things, these shapes, these colors, whatever it might be, you know, finding these analogs in your bioregion. Right. Yep. Yep. Build that place and also provide so many of those benefits that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that peaking curiosity. That's exactly it, Cody. That's yeah. 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 That's what we're striving to do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, what have been some of your <laughs> obstacles on 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 this journey and in this work? Obstacles. Um, I you know. not really sure I can think of many obstacles um which is probably not helpful to people who want some (laughs) business advice (laughs) but it's wonderful (laughs) I mean you know little things all the time but you know just those business things but um obstacles no I mean it's just been so you know I mean challenging yes to build these businesses for sure but to see the reaction and and the fact that people do have this natural curiosity about it and want to learn and want to make changes is so great Mm. um one of the biggest obstacles maybe is always how local do i stay because of course as you build a business i think anyone who's a farmer or a maker and has a product well people from other places suddenly may want this product mm-hmm. but, but to me that I'm like well if I'm shipping it to other places of the country it's not very local anymore but that mm-hmm. am I limiting my business reach am I limiting you know um uh the reach of what my farmers can sell and where um if I don't do that but um yeah so far I've I've opted to stay really local mm-hmm do you have any sort of radius that you focus on? Like, you know, like a mile radius for, for sourcing or, you know, for working with people, what, you know, whatever that might look like. 
Yeah, I haven't set an actual mile radius. It just has naturally happened that all of our farmers are within about two to two and a half hours of the Twin uh-huh. Cities. So it's sort of created its own natural radius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our, yeah, you know, our buyers are all in Minnesota and Wisconsin. So. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with that is, you mentioned that flower farming has grown, obviously. I'm very mm-hmm. much aware of that too. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of what you are doing, are there other people in other cities, other regions across the country or, you know, across the world that are doing similar things to what you are doing in creating this kind of place-based floristry and connection and wholesaling that you're Um, aware of? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. There are are lots of um, florists all across the country really um, embracing this, you know, place-based floristry, um, Mm -hmm. as you said. And um, we were the first, um, Seattle had a a local wholesale market uh, for many years. Um, The Twin Cities Flower Exchange was one of the first in the country to be 100% local and 100% chemical free. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I do, I get a lot of inquiries and um, talk a lot to other people um, trying to start similar hub models in their areas, which is wonderful to see. And I think there are so many opportunities um, in, in all sizes of communities and farming communities to create these hubs, whether it's a cooperative model mm-hmm. or a few farmers getting together to pool their deliveries um, or a larger hub model like the Twin Cities Flower Exchange. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's exciting to see that all move forward pretty quickly in the past Mm -hmm. few years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I asked you a question about the obstacles for yourself, but you know, in that model that you're talking about, what, what are some of the the major obstacles that, you know, other people that are interested in starting these kind of hubs are, are facing? Um, I think it's just getting that infrastructure Mm -hmm. and, uh, even though flower farming and maybe it's, it's, even though or because of flower farming um, becoming uh, such a movement right now is that the, that supply and demand balance is always, you know, a tough road. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's probably our biggest challenge all the time at the wholesale market. Um, Even though it seems like all sorts of people want these flowers, um, there are a lot of new farmers growing and how do we, how do we balance that supply and demand and who has what um, and who grows what? And, you know, do we really need this many zinnias or um, all of that? So um, yeah, I think supply and demand and then just uh, figuring out how to build that hub based on your area, your farmers, your demand, all of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's going you know, it's just a different formula for everyone that's that's trying to start one everyone wants a list of what I did you know like how did you do this and I said I can give you the list but that's not gonna you know I happen to have this amazing facility operate out of um, this amazing food hub in the Twin Cities and not everyone is going to have that facility and not everyone is going to have the same market so um, yeah just yeah. finding that sweet spot for your own market I guess mm-hmm. same with produce right yeah definitely yeah yeah, well, I think we were talking about that with design too. I mean, it's similar to that respect, you know, in business design or designing floral arrangement or whatever it might be. It's looking at those patterns that are unique to that place, right? In that, mm-hmm. that region and, you know, how you can kind of adapt as needed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask you this. Um, I was hoping to ask you earlier in the conversation, but we kind of just flowed in the direction it needed to go but you know how did you first become interested in in all of this you know what where did this start for you you know this curiosity this love for for floral for you know for um, gardening farming all of it uh-huh uh-huh um hi you know it's funny when I started 
And I had the thought that I want to work with these flowers and I want to work with local flowers and chemical free. I, I didn't think, I mean, there wasn't at the time for me, a big movement or message behind it. I was, I really felt like I was just trying to stay true to myself and my thoughts and beliefs and values. Um, and, you know, come to find out through my own curiosity with that, that, there were a lot of other people who had that same curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, because I didn't know anything about, really anything about the floral industry or, you know, the slow flowers movement or anything before I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was learning, you know, a, a lot along with my, you know, consumers just, um exploring that um I do feel like there's a strange familial tie that that uh, sort of guided me in my love of the natural world um I grew up in southern Minnesota in the river valley and spent most of my days wandering around the woods um and I found out after I started Foxglove that my great-grandparents were urban flower farmers in southern Minnesota so (laughs) wow yeah, I do feel like there's definitely a familial tie that, that's really guided me there. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I had a uh, one of our past episodes, I interviewed Kobe, who you know from Tiny Diner. Yeah. And yeah. she she had a similar thing about talking about her grandparents both being uh, farmers and, and gardeners. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and finding that connection later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My grandpa was a worm farmer for a time, and I really? remember that. Yeah, I remember that really clearly from being a kid. I was so fascinated. He had all of these raised beds with, you know, soil and worms, and we would help harvest the worms and package them up. <laughs> Were they for fishing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, I could see them being for fishing, but nowadays it's like composting worms too, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I grew up digging up worms to go fishing, you know, in the yard. Right. <laughs> That's a whole nother level of worms. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Well, you know, I I kind of want to focus on some of the skills too. I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but yeah. I I was really curious to hear, you know, you've started businesses and organizations, different projects, all, all sorts of different ways of being creative and living a creative livelihood. And I'd love to know what specific skills have you really needed to cultivate to, to do this work along the way? Hmm. Um, specific skills. Um, I think the biggest one for me in recent years has been um, communication Working with, um, you know, working with Foxglove, it was largely a solo operation. So it was just me doing my thing, doing my creative thing in the studio and interacting with my customers. Um, but other than that, it was, it was very much a solo endeavor. Um, and tackling this world of wholesale it was a much bigger challenge than I ever even imagined. I mean... You know, I think to myself, oh, I have, you know, I'm working with these great flower farmers. They have all those, these flowers. And I know there are all these buyers out there that I've talked to that want local flowers, but they don't know how to get them or they don't want to deal with, you know, 10 farmers' emails and deliveries. And so I'll just, you know, create this hub and, you know, create the space and we'll bring them together and we'll move flowers from this place to this place, (laughs) you know, easy, right? (laughs) Right. Build it and they'll come. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first and foremost, I didn't, I didn't really, I think in building a business, you have to think very carefully about your role and how you fit into that and how your skill set fits Mm. into that. And I really never thought, wow, I'm going to be a middleman, but suddenly that's what I was, which is not a great thing in a lot of people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really building that trust with the farmers and building that trust with the buyers, because I was in this, you know, middle position, right. Mm-hmm. I was in this, um, 
that was really important. So communications became really, really important. And um, for an introvert, it's definitely challenging. <laughs> um, so <laughs> suddenly having all of these people, they're depending on you and, um, and two very different groups of people, right? We have farmers and we have designers. Yeah. Um, and they all have different, different communication styles. So I think if you're, you know, if you're thinking about a new business, um, yeah, very, very much so. That first thing is, is thinking about your role and how that's going to be defined and how it's going to define you and what specific skills you need to bring into that role. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely been a big learning experience for me, and um, but so rewarding at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I hear you say that, I, I you know, I, I think about <laughs> with communication, I think about the, just the resilience and translation, right? Yeah. Translating from, from different people and different perspectives and, and also, you know, translation from, from nature and, and natural law and the balance of ecosystems too, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, I, I completely identify with where you're coming from too about you know starting out in that role of you know being creative and you know more on your own and independent and then you suddenly become in this role of you know you know starting something creative with with values and principles and and whatever it might be that people gravitate towards you start to become this person that is educating right we've been talking a lot Mm -hmm. about education and really Mm -hmm. another way of saying that is really relationship building and, and connecting so, you know, maybe instead of the old middle man analogy, you could think <laughs> of something flower, re- flower related <laughs> or, you know, um, mycelium, right, in the soil, whatever it might be. Right, exactly. Right? You know, we use a lot of those kind of natural analogies. Connectors, that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That helps <laughs> yeah. sound a little nicer. <laughs> yeah, I but feel like that term, I... I, yeah, I feel like that happened the first year where people were trying to make sense of what I was doing. Yep. Um, that's always, you know, you're building a new model and people don't quite know how to categorize it or where yeah. to fit it in their, you know, framework, yeah. reference framework. Um, so I feel like that's really fallen off and that like, it's not even a consideration anymore, but I like no. my stallium. That's nice. definitely well on that subject i mean you've mentioned (laughs) slow flowers would you explain to folks who aren't familiar with you know the concept of slow food slow flowers slow money all those different aspects and what it means specifically um i guess to me i don't i don't use that term a lot um, because I think it's rather broad. Um, um, but you know, slow, I, I mean, I do love the word slow, like slowing down, mm-hmm. pausing. Um, so to me, and this is probably not what everyone thinks of, but to me, it means sort of that pausing that, that stepping back and taking, taking a minute to think about your actions Mm. and how they ripple through the world. Um, I'm sure that's probably not what everyone thinks of when they think of slow food and slow flowers. I think more of that's, you know, about the supply chain and shortening that supply chain for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, yeah, what I'm doing in the realm of slow flowers means um, just, yeah, taking that time and that step back to really consider what you're doing and being more mindful about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I love that you explain it that way. I mean, I, I, I completely agree. That's, that's the approach I come from as well. It's, you know, whether, you know, we're talking about the supply chain stuff or, you know, walking through the woods, slowing down mm-hmm. to take in the bigger picture to, you know, then, you know, like we've talked about with curiosity, you know, to build relationship. I mean, to, to do that in a place where you live and where you come from, your home, mm-hmm. is, is so grounding and empowering. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, taking that time to slow down really helps cultivate that 
that that patience and you know we've talked a lot about connection yeah the connection we talked a lot about habits too and really understanding some of those habits that we're repeating in so many other areas of our lives and you know Mm -hmm. this is this is why Megan and I are so passionate about teaching permaculture is because it really helps bring this whole system's perspective right um, to connect to really connect Mm -hmm. the bigger picture connect the dots Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's I mean everything I'm doing is is in the hope that, I mean, people will reconnect to this deeper sense of place and a deeper engagement with the world around them and the environment immediately around them Um, and our landscape, whatever it is, wherever you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that partially answers my next question I have for you. You know, on the show, you know, we call it Permaculture Freedom. Um, and we talk about ways of cultivating freedom in your lifestyle to live a creative livelihood and, and also positively transform your community. Um, what, what does freedom, freedom mean to you in your life and how have you cultivated it in your lifestyle? Ooh, wow. Um, what does freedom mean to me? Huh? Um, <laughs> that's a big question, Cody. That's why I save it till the end. <laughs> um, Would you rather it was my opener? <laughs> I, well, wait, no, I don't know. No, it's good. Um, <laughs> what does freedom mean in my world? Um, I, the first word that came to mind was exploration. And maybe that banks off our, you know, that your idea of peaking curiosity mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the freedom to explore is really important to me yeah. uh, personally and in my work. And I think that that in turn brings about that connection, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're exploring new ideas in a book or you're exploring physically with your hands in the garden or out, you know, in the woods. Yeah. Um, that's freedom to me, that, that fact that we have that ability to explore and look at new ideas and thought patterns and, and create connections that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's it, that, that freedom to explore in ways that, you know, you, you might make mistakes, you might, you know, have certain challenges mm-hmm. and learn, you know, burn yourself, cut yourself. Right. right. <laughs> Find out that something you thought was, oh, maybe not. Oh. Yeah. Maybe exactly. I need to adjust that thinking. Right. Exactly. Just the courage to, to explore and, and to, yeah, to, and, you know, we'll come back to communication too, the courage mm-hmm. to speak about what you're working through in your head and, and also admit yeah. that you challenge yourself, challenge other people, yeah, make mistakes and yeah, be honest. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, so what's, what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, I guess, I think similarly <laughs> for everyone right now, what's next is maybe not what we thought was coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this would normally be a time when I would be doing a lot of events and workshops. And um, of course, I'm having to take a step back from that and figure out or how, how to translate what's happening in the world right now into supportive offerings from Foxglove. Um, and I think that will probably be in the realm of some virtual workshops and tutorials mm-hmm. um, and just sort of simple enjoyments um, from the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if anyone has any ideas about <laughs> what they'd like to see from Foxglove next, um, give me a holler. Um, and then just navigating our wholesale market and, you know, it's an industry dominated by events. So that's basically changed a lot in our current, current climate as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so many, so many folks it's changing. Yeah. Changing business as usual. Yeah. So what's next is I think day by day at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, like the beginning of our conversation slowing down, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a permaculture principle of obtaining yield and I'd love to ask you what would you most like folks listening right now to take away from this conversation and yield? 
Um, I think what I'd like people to take away is just thinking about what what beauty can you find and what exists at this moment in your space. Um, I often challenge people at the, or encourage is a better word, maybe at the end of any workshop, um, once they've taken a look at these new materials and worked with them, <clears throat> to just take a few minutes and, and walk out into whatever natural space um, they may have available and really look at what is happening in your landscape right now at this moment. And um, yeah, what beauty you can find in, in that, um, you know, a seed head, fallen branch with an interesting shape. Um, and just, yeah, challenging yourself to redefine what is beautiful and what catches your eye and take a moment to kind of feel that connection again that creates to our current moment, our current season, the natural landscape. Um, yeah, and how that fits into your broader world, I guess. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Christine. I would love to ask, you know, how can we support you and folks like yourself doing this work? Where would we go to learn more about you? Uh, sure. You can find Foxglove at foxglovemarket.com and Twin Cities Flower Exchange for wholesale buyers at tcflowerexchange.com. You can find me on Instagram at foxglovemarket. Um, yeah, and just you can support us by and the farmers. Um, again, by just taking a look at your habits and um, thinking about where things are coming from and the choices you're making when you consume things and, and uh, what better choices might be out there. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much once again, Christine. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Cody. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it, you can do three simple things right now. One, you can subscribe to Permaculture Freedom Podcast if you haven't yet. Number two, you can leave a short review for us on iTunes. And third, share this episode with a person in your life you think would enjoy it too. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, take care, my friend.